Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. I'm having so much more fun now. I have let them show me how to live their way. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 237. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to theslowpoisoner.com gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last you remember them from your childhood half for the friendly ghost richie rich hot stuff baby Huey, sad sack and little audrey you read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harvey Dale Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. I plan to go on Charles F. Rosene's Magical History Tour in 2024. And here is Charles to talk about it. Hey, hey, this is Charles Rosene, sometime guest here on the Fun Ideas podcast. Have you ever thought of taking a Beatles tour to Liverpool? Well, I host and organize the Magical History Tour every summer, www.liverpooltours.com. But I'm here to tell you about two other things. My books. Yes, Mark isn't the only author. I've recently published the book of top ten Beatles lists, where 64 celebrities gave their top ten favorite Beatles-themed lists with reasons why. And 
photos and all kind of fun stuff, please check it out, www.bookoftop10beatleslists.com. It's the follow-up to www.bookoftop10horrorlists.com, where a hundred celebrities gave their favorite horror lists. Enjoy the upcoming show, and thank you for listening to my ad. In Fun Ideas Productions news, progress is being made on publishing my upcoming Turtles and Mad books. Hopefully they will be out by the end of 2023 or the beginning of 2024. My latest books that are published include my books on Pac-Man, the stars of Walt Disney Productions, the revised second edition of my Monkeys book with Michael A. Ventrella called Long Title, and the TTV Scrapbook. You can buy them all on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or directly from Bear Manor Media. If you'd like a signed book, contact me at funideas.mark at gmail.com or purchase your book through my listings on eBay. I'm still working on my TV cartoons at Time Forgot book, as well as articles about the Harvey Implosion and on Archie's Mr. Weatherby. On today's show, we have the author of The Wonderful World of Disney Television, but he also worked for Disney as well as Warner Brothers, among many other things. Here he is, Bill Cotter. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have a, an author, and he's done a lot of other things, but how I know him is he was the author of this book, which has been very helpful, and we'll find out how it's been helpful for me, called The Wonderful World of Disney Television. He is, the name says here, Bill Cotter. How are you? <laughs> Doing great, thanks. Thank you. And where do you reside? Um I'm in the suburb of uh, the Los Angeles area, the San okay. Fernando Valley. So I'm a whopping 17.5 miles from the Disney Studios. Okay. Now, um, in doing a little research, because I knew you did this book, but you've done a few other things. Um, you actually worked for Walt Disney Productions for a time. What did you do there? I had a great job. Uh, I did I basically. I set up all the company's computer security. I had uh, been working at Cape Kennedy, and I went over on a day off to Disney World and applied for a job there, thinking I was going to get the program audio-animatronic bears or monorail systems. And I looked at my security background for the work I was doing for the government and asked if I would set up the computer security. So I had a great job. I'd work a month at the studio and then a month at Disneyland, a month at Disney World, then over to WED, back to the studio, that sort of thing. So I did that for most of the time. I was with Disney full-time six years. And near the end of it, I had worked my way into uh, doing some computer stuff over at Imagineering on some of the, uh, the, the thrill rides and uh, leading into Epcot. Hmm. So uh, yeah. it, was, it was great fun. It, it was uh, great to be on an expense report and sent to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you uh, train for this as a career? I mean, I don't mean Disney, but I mean doing computer security and things like that. Well, yes and no. Uh, my degree is in electrical and computer engineering, but if you did a Google search on me uh, way back when I was in my college days, I actually got arrested for being a phone freak, Ooh. and I figured out a way to make uh, free telephone calls, which was a great way to make the New York Times, but it wasn't. my, my parents weren't so happy about it. So I had uh, been looking for various jobs, and the U.S. Navy came along and said, hey, we'd like somebody that uh, you know could... Uh, if you crack the phone company, how would you like to crack the fail-safe system on the submarines? So I got hired to be a computer designer on the uh, Polaris Poseidon Trident nuclear submarines and uh, work on uh, on that. And as I said, we were over at Cape Kennedy having an uh, unplanned day off. Our, our new missile was so much bigger than the last one. They were concerned if it blew up 
would have taken out the blockhouse that uh, they said everybody take the day off. Everybody else played golf. They went over to take advantage of the Disney golf courses. And I went over and I walked in. It was like visiting the World's Fair, which I had gone to a lot, the 64 Fair. But there was monorails and Mr. Lincoln and a carousel of progress and all that. So I uh, went out, bought a tie, went into the casting building. I asked for a job and they said, uh, yeah. Uh, and then they called up and said, change your mind. It's going to be in California. After I've already quit my job, told my girlfriend, got rid of my apartment. <laughs> so I flew out to California and I was out here about two weeks. And I said, oh, we need you back in Florida on a big fraud case. Back to Florida. <laughs> so I did a lot of miles over, over the years. Mm -hmm. but, but it was great it was a, it was a wonderful time i started with disney in 1976 mm -hmm. and it was a wonderful time because there were still an awful lot of the uh uh walt era people still there um when i got the job and they moved me to california my boss was still in florida so i said to him what do i do to get here because i didn't know anything about disney i mean i literally was just dropped in california and he said go around just get to know people so i'd, I'd walk into an office and say Hi, what do you do? And the guy said, Oh, I'm an animator. And I said, How do you do that? And he would tell me, and I said, Oh, what's your name? Oh, uh, Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, yeah. Ward Kimball, you know, the, the big boys, the right. you know, because they're still there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were still there. And I could walk into the machine shop and talk to the guys that had, you know, designed uh, Walt's miniature train, or on another day, the projector systems were uh, circle vision, circorama, you know, that sort of thing. So it was uh, it was really a, a great time to to be there while there was still people connected to the uh, the glory days. Mm -hmm. So you, I think you just said that you worked both at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Then yeah, I would rotate. Off and on. So I, yeah. I, I would spend like basically it depends on the project. I might be at the studio a month looking at the computer security, the payroll system, mm -hmm. or the physical security of the data center. Then I would be off to uh, Wade to work on the uh, ride system for Space Mountain. Then I would mm -hmm. be down in Florida to go do something else, uh, fraud in the hotel. It was I was moving over all all over the place. That was mm -hmm. was nice. And then uh, I did that for six years. But then Warner Brothers came by and said we'd like you to do the same thing for Warner Brothers. <laughs> and I would a forty two percent raise down. So I said, Wow, good. Because <laughs> my girlfriend now, my wife was at Disney and she still had a silver pass. So I. I didn't lose the you know some of the perks, but I, I made a lot more money. Hmm. How long were you at Warner Brothers then? Fifteen years. Oh, okay. So and then I did some time at Universal uh, after that, and then I got out of the entertainment business. And when I retired, I was a senior vice president at uh, Bank of America, and I had about eighteen thousand computer servers I was responsible for. Wow. That <laughs> be busy. Going back to Disney, just curious because you left in '82, but did you work at uh, setting up Epcot in the first place, or no? Yeah, yeah, okay. I worked on Epcot, and uh, it, it was really funny. I I would work on a project, and then they would kill it for budget or schedule or whatever. <laughs> so it got to be where I'd go to a meeting and I go, "Oh God, he, it, don't put him on my project, but uh, <laughs> it's going to get killed." But yeah, right. worked on that. I, I actually left uh, Disney right before, uh, about a week before the opening of Epcot. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I still went down. Uh, I said, well, uh, I told Warner Brothers, you got to wait. I got to go to this. I put the last couple of years of my life into it. So I, I went down there for the opening of Epcot and then came back straight thing over to uh, to work for, for Bugs Bunny. Got it. <laughs> and uh, I know 
it was a different company, but uh, and it was like a year later. But did you work on any of the Tokyo Disneyland setup or anything like that, or no? Yeah, it was actually interesting. I, I was Tokyo Disneyland was underway before I left uh, Disney. Uh, we had yeah. been working on it for quite a while, and it was funny how things happen at times. We were in a meeting one day, and people were talking about how we had a real problem with Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> that the Japanese wouldn't allow uh, weapons to come into the country, even if they were fake pirate guns. They have a total ban on weapons. Mm. Then they uh, said uh, also they were having a problem. They didn't want us for our auto animatronic figures to use American-made uh, glass eyes because we use industrial, I mean, you know, medical quality eyes in the figures. They wanted us to use Japanese ones. Well, the Japanese ones are on a metric system. We were in inches. There was a whole bunch. <laughs> we didn't want to send eyeless pirates over there so i was in a meeting and they asked you know does anybody happen to know anybody at the uh uh you know commerce department that might be able to help us on this and i said well i i do know a guy at the justice department that is actually asking if we could do a favor for commerce so let me call them and to make a long story short uh we had a whole government contingent came out we took uh them to uh imagineering which was strictly off the the record you know pull them Cameras stay on the bus. We took him in, let him tour around. Then I took him down to Disneyland, took 100 people to lunch at Club 33, gave them all a goodie bag with mouse ears with their names on it, stuff for their kids. And about six weeks later, I got the call to come up to uh, uh, Don Tatum, the president of the company, or chairman, I guess, at the time. And he said, uh, is the, you the guy who was working on the eyeballs? And I said, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and he holds up a thing. He goes, we got our approval. Thanks. So, oh, good. <laughs> So, you know, you, you don't expect that you're going to have anything to do with some things and you can just be in an arbitrary meeting and somebody asks something and next thing you know, you're out whining and dining in the government trying to get your, your favor done. Mm -hmm. So not computer stuff, but still, uh, still fun. Mm -hmm. Did you have any uh, similar experiences? You mentioned Warner's and Universal uh, since they have attractions or were you more behind the scenes for other things? Well, what I did mostly at Warner Brothers at the time when I first got there, we had uh, we, we did business around the world showing our movies, and we had uh, the division that would do the TV shows, movies, that sort of thing. My, so my first thing was I had uh, 21 different countries around the world that each had their own computer system doing things differently, and my task was to put all 21 of them on the same computer system <laughs> and make it easier to maintain. So I had a staff in London, a staff in Tokyo. And then I had, uh, as time went on, I also picked up because I brought in the company uh, PCs and Mac. So I and was responsible for all the desktop environment, basically everything at Warner's other than our main IBM mainframe. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did that. Then home video came along. We got into the home video business. Mm -hmm. uh, then they said, hey, uh, Bill, how would you like to be the guy in charge of uh, computers for DC Comics? which turned out to be really good because uh, I, I got to meet again a whole bunch of my comic book heroes. But I also got a free box every month of all the DC comics. So that, <laughs> cool. that was a wonderful perk because I'm a comic book collector. So it was uh, Me too. <laughs> wonderful. And to be able to go into the vault and say, oh, here's action number one. And, you know, and hold it, hold some of these things in your hand was great fun. Wow. So uh, then we got into theme parks, uh, uh, hired a guy named C.D. Wood, who had been an early builder at Disneyland and Freedomland. And we were doing theme parks in uh, Australia, Germany. A bunch of other places and mm -hmm. then you know i uh yeah 15 years just it went by like lightning <laughs> and in any of these cases no matter which job it was did you 
I mean, this sounds like a silly question, but I'll ask it this way. Did you know what you were doing? <laughs> meaning, meaning uh, was there times where you had to come up with something that really hadn't been done before at each company? Oh, yeah. That, that, I mean, that, that, that definitely comes up. I mean, yeah. you know, for example, uh, going back, uh, you know, to the, the stuff of the Navy, you, you're told, okay, here's a computer system, hack it. And you yeah. have to start thinking out that there's no manual to say, here is how you hack a computer system. And you would have to try to find a way uh, into it. And sometimes you would know how a certain computer worked and you would try to find holes in the computer. And other times you would do what we call social engineering. You would try to talk somebody into giving you information that they shouldn't have given <laughs> you and then use that to your advantage. So you definitely have to play along. But at Warner Brothers, for example, I was in a meeting. We were going to take a, a, a really crappy computer system that was on a computer we had borrowed from a record company. And they wanted to put it on our mainframe. And uh, everybody was you know, saying, well, that's a stupid idea. And I, I put up my hand in a meeting and said, I think we ought to do it this way you know, to, to write a new computer system for the new computer rather than just, you know, translate the old crap and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So a year later, people ask, well, you know, you've only been here a year. How'd you make vice president? And I'm still here. I said, well, I put up my hand. And I, I suggested we try. <laughs> and I've always enjoyed <laughs> trying to, get, you know, figure out what isn't working and how do we make it work. Mm -hmm. So for a number of years, I, I was an independent consultant. When I left Warner's, I went into independent consulting. And, uh, uh, you know, I enjoyed that because I one day I'd be at a, a HMO trying to figure out a problem with their billing system. And that I'd be at a law firm trying to figure out something else. And then that's how I ended up at Universal. I went to Universal theoretically for six weeks to fix something. And I ended up being there two and a half years. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it I, I've always enjoyed that about the the you know, the career, the ability to just get thrown in off the deep end and, you know, yeah. try to figure a way to the top. Yeah. And there were a number of times I, I got told, like, at, at um, Bank of America, that one time somebody screwed something up big time royally. And I said, okay, as of tonight, you're running his department. And I said, well, what do they do? And I said, well, you have about an hour to find out. Wow. So I, I, yeah. I love the challenge. I, I, I really yeah. enjoyed that part of it. Well, what prompted that question, because it wasn't on my list of questions, it was just when you're talking about uh, getting all those different computer systems that Warner Brothers all running together, you know, it's like there's no real book on that. You just have to kind of figure out how each one works and how you can interface them all <laughs> somehow. Yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes you're lucky you run into to good people. <laughs> we had a guy at uh, Warner's uh, named Tim Sarnoff. Uh, he was a great grandson, I think, of generals. <clears throat> excuse me. General Sarnoff of RCA fame. And uh, we were doing a whole bunch of things like the Tiny Tune Adventures and things like that. And uh, we were looking on a way that we could uh, computerize some of it so that if you have a, a, a lab scene of a mad doctor and you know the character runs across it, well, 22 episodes later, do you really need to have a background painter to do the same lab scene if you use the digital asset and come back and do it? So uh, I got to learn an awful lot about that aspect of it. And we, we did some things that were fun. If you remember the TV show, The Adventures of Lois and Clark. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, we brought in a computer system uh, to do stuff, what they call it, pretty easy today, wire removal, where Superman would be carrying yeah. Lois and, you know, got the wires. Well, we could digitally take out the wires. But we would do things that now are so commonplace that back then people couldn't figure it out. Like we had one thing where he flies in through the window of the Daily Planet with Lois and puts her down. 
and nobody could figure out how we flew through the window, you know, because of the wires. Well, the top of the window never existed. <laughs> we just digitally put it in. And today it's real easy, but going right. back to 1980s or 90s, whenever we did it, he comes in, you know, a window that's shaped like that. We just put the top on it. We also <laughs> were able to take like a three-story back lot and make it a seven-story back lot. And we had this one guy that came from Korea. He was a really super animator. He would put all of us in the windows looking out as Superman flew by, you know, <laughs> fun stuff like Details. that. Yeah. <laughs> and then we were, they were looking to do uh, the movie Free Willy too. If you remember that one was a, a Free Willy was a, a killer whale kept in right. captivity and he gets out to the sea. Well, they wanted to do a Free Willy too, but, you know, nobody wanted to get the whale sick or hurt or die or anything. So we mocked up, we had the uh, uh, one of the reservoirs here in L.A. and had the, the water looking like the lake behind me in this picture. All of a sudden, <laughs> Willie would come out and jump and jump, and he kept doing it. And then we could say, okay, if it's nighttime, click, 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 and this thing would change. Okay, now if there a uh, storm <laughs> comes up and the wind comes up and the waves are going and the waves, and it's a, now the speedboat comes out, and we were able to put together about a little three-minute video that convinced the powers that be that this was worth spending millions and millions of dollars on computers to go start doing, you know, computer animation of whales. Wow. Yeah. Very fun. Like I said, the nice thing for me, I was often at the very right spot at the very right time. You yeah. know, if I had not walked into Disney the day that I did, you know, I'd probably still be trying to blow up things for the Navy. Uh, when I was at, at uh, Disney, somebody at Warner's made a big ass mistake and uh, Warner's had already called me. I had already turned them down for something else. And then they called and said, we really need you. You know, could you fix yeah. this? And I said, yeah, that sounds like fun. And oh, the money, that sounds really fun. So, again, <laughs> you know, if the other guy at Warner's had done a really good job, there wouldn't have been that opening for me. And over time, that sort of thing, you know, uh, PCs were there. All the guys on our computer department basically hated PCs. I mm -hmm. love bought a you know TRS eighty and Apple two and all that. So I was just <laughs> at the right spot at the right time. Yeah. I, I I probably could not get my any of my old jobs back today. You know, it was just <laughs> it was a feature of the times. Yeah. So you, you sound like my dad. My dad's still around and he, he was in Silicon Valley, you know, doing everything, working at all the different high tech firms there. And he was more into sales, but he has an engineering background. So, you know, he had very similar stories to you. You know, I was there when Atari started. I was there when this started, you know, and all that stuff. Like you were at Disney, you know, it just popped in my head as far as being at the forefront of like movie technology when they made Tron, you know, and things like that. And Well, Tron was a really interesting one. Um, I, I went over to the stage watching them doing Tron and, you know, they had the white costumes with the Mylar strips and all that. Right. And I happened to mention that one of the guys that I was a computer, you know, guy in real life. And they were like, oh, we've never seen one of you in the wild. So they, <laughs> they, this was no joke. They came over to my office to see what a computer geek's office looked like. And they had the thought of filming in my office until my boss said, no way in hell, it's not going to happen. So they took all these pictures of my office. And then the scene where uh, Jeff Bridges gets digitized and everything, yeah. basically, I'm looking at my office with this giant matte painting and everything else behind it. But the, they had come over to duplicate my office on a soundstage so they wow. could have guy sit in a real computer geek's office. So, Did you yeah. get any credit for that or are you just revealing so, that now? So, okay. <laughs> you know, one thing I learned over time, uh, you know, learned the hard way is if you don't ask for the credit up front, uh, you don't get it. Like I worked on the movie Tomorrowland. Oh, yeah. And I did 
awful lot on that, but I, I didn't get a credit for it because uh, basically I didn't negotiate quite right. What what happened? This happened to me a couple of times. The movie Iron Man Two. They go to a theme park, uh, uh, Stark Expo. Right. I had agreed to consult and how do you design a theme park and how, what would a theme park designer's office look like and. Uh, we took the 64 World's Fair and said, okay, visually, we'll move this pavilion over here. And I was supposed to get credit on that. And then they called up and said, well, we have a problem. This, uh, the Art Directors Guild says you're not a member. They don't want to give you a credit. I said, but you guaranteed me you're going to give me a credit. And they said, well, how about if we pay you double? And I said, mm. fortunately. So yeah, <laughs> I got two kids in college. So I, the money was more important. Yeah. So uh, on Tomorrowland, that was a long story how that one came up. But you know, same sort of thing. I, I didn't get a screen credit, which frankly annoyed me. I, I should have asked for it. I should have insisted it. But when the art director uh, was uh, interviewed about it, he was saying, oh, matter of fact, he, both in the LA Times and at the D23 convention, he was saying, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how we we're going to create the World's Fair. And then I met the miracle name Bill Cotter. I mean, he mm -hmm. gave me super credit for it. I really appreciated it. That's but cool. uh, yeah, I, I've got... If you go to IMDb, I've got credit on a bunch of things, but not all the things I should. So, yeah. you know, to, to me, it's, you know, I, I just do this stuff as a hobby. I mean, I got out of the computer business or I retired full time. Oh, God, almost 12 years ago now. So mm -hmm. it's all just a hobby to me, not uh, not a yeah. not a career anymore. Yeah. Now, going way back, <laughs> it seems like it started off as a hobby, like when you're a kid or a teenager, because. You have that website that has like Freedom Land and all the World's Fair stuff and everything like that. I assumed you went to some of those things, if not all of those things. Maybe not the thirty-nine World's Fair, but you know, the more the more recent ones and possibly even Freedom Land. Oh yeah, Freedom Land. I went to a lot. Uh, matter oh, of fact, okay. over here I have a nice reel of film I'm digitizing from Freedom Land. Uh, yeah, I, I went to uh, the, the Freedom Land. Uh, oh. Probably a dozen times, something like that. It was in the Bronx. We were living on, on Long Island, so it wasn't the easiest place to get to. But uh, went there and enjoyed that. But uh, I really went to the 64 World's Fair a lot. Um, mm. That was really easy to get from home. I was 12 years old when it opened, and uh, I had uh, four younger brothers. So my parents didn't want to go a lot because taking all the kids was a real problem. But they basically said I could go as often as I wanted if I found a way to pay for it. And then uh, if I had to take my next brother in age, Jim, and Jim was smart. He realized he didn't have to pay for it because if I didn't pay for him, he couldn't go. So I had to pay for the two of us. It worked out <laughs> great. But I went to the fair a lot, really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it's no, no exaggeration to say the Disney stuff made a big impact on me. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's when the opportunity came up just a few short years later to work for Disney. It was really impl implanted on my brain. And then to be sitting alongside the same Imagineers that had come up with, you know, the, the Carousel of Progress. So, the, uh, you know, I got to know, for example, the Sherman brothers. They were, mm. were near my house and got to know these people. And again, Disney shouldn't have paid me. I should have been paying them. I was uh, <laughs> in the right spot. Yeah. But what had happened at, at Disney was uh, uh, the way I got into the history part of Disney was we had a great program where you could take home a movie and uh, three cartoons on 16 millimeter. Mm. And the studio would loan you a projector and a, uh, a screen and you could watch them. Well, the, the gating factor was they only had, I think, two projectors at the studio. For, so you have to sign up. And I realized if I got my own projector, I could take home as many movies as I wanted. So I literally mm. started, okay, let me start with Snow White and 
you know, I worked my way, you know, through the whole catalog. Mm -hmm. But the one thing we didn't have was a, uh, a copy of TV shows that you could take home. So mm -hmm. it sounds, okay. you know, antiquated now, but, you know, Zorro right. hadn't been seen in years. Davy Crockett hadn't been seen in right. years. So I came up with the uh, uh, being a, uh, oh, a, a thinker, I guess, a way to screen some of these things. Uh, we formed an employee film club at the studio and uh, between the studio and Disneyland. And I would screen something like the movie uh, or the TV show, A Story of Dogs, which was about the making of Lady and the Tramp. Mm -hmm. And I would invite in people that worked on the film, like Jerry Geronimi, who was the director of Lady and the Tramp. Hadn't been back to Disney for years, but he was thrilled to come back. We would have uh, we would screen the show and then uh, um, you know have a panel discussion with the, the people that were invited. So I would go to the archives and I would uh, write notes so I could introduce the show. You know, Story of Dogs aired on this date. It started this, it did that, whatever. But uh, I started spending a lot of time in the archives uh, just so I could you know do these program notes. Mm -hmm. Over time, what I realized was that they were calling me to say, "Hey, Bill, do you remember what show we did this in?" Or Bill, uh, <laughs> that. So I left Disney uh, and happily left on good terms. Uh, and I went over to Warner Brothers and people started, they kept calling me from Disney. Bill, what's the wow. show with the jetpack around the Matterhorn? Or what was the show uh, where Davy Crockett first did this? <laughs> so I started thinking maybe there was a book in this. And um, okay. I, I sent out proposals to like every publisher around. And they all said no, because they didn't want to get involved with the Disney legal department. Um, yeah. I mean, just real challenges there so i kept plugging it away plugging it away and then one day i was at work and my wife called and said uh disney's on the phone they want to publish your book and i said yeah right you know I mean, <laughs> three to four days a week i would go leave my um office at warner brothers drive the mile over to to uh, disney and uh, go to the archives research everything get back in the car and go back to warner brothers Wow. And there so often I actually had a reserved parking spot at Disney, and it, although I was a Warner Brothers vice president. And I, along the way, I was helping Disney with a whole <laughs> Excuse of various projects. They had a, a museum in Chicago that they wanted to, uh, 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 the Museum of Broadcast Communications had closed. They were reopening. Disney was supporting it. And mm -hmm. they wanted 100 best hours of Disney television. So another guy and I picked out what we thought were the 100 best hours. I wrote the catalog for the uh, exhibit, and then Disney flew me, Dave Smith, the archivist, and Fess Parker to uh, Chicago for the weekend to kick the thing off. So I, I was in heaven. I mean, I'm sitting in a bar, knocking down drinks with Fess Parker. My dad had come in. Fess was a pilot. I'm a pilot. We were talking airplanes. And mm -hmm. at the end, I said, this is so great not to talk about the hat for a change. You know? <laughs> So I assume you were, because you did this book, I'll hold it up again, The Wonderful yeah. World of Disney, you were watching it when it debuted in 54 and everything, or at least shortly thereafter. Shortly thereafter, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. Was, I was born in 52, so I, yeah. I was, you know, I missed the first beginnings of it. But yeah. I was really lucky. I was able uh, to basically, just about every episode of everything in there, to get a copy of it and sit down and watch it. So the, there's one series, uh, Meet Me at Disneyland, which we can't find any physical copies. But that had been so totally forgotten that when I discovered it, people said, what show are you talking about? You know, <laughs> so the live series was done at Disneyland. The what? You know, so there, there were a, a bunch of fun discoveries. And, you know, so uh, I, I have a 
whole appendix, but unfortunately did not make the book because of size of uh, all the TV shows they planned to do and how far they got and things that, you know, that failed projects, canceled projects, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that was, that was a fun rat hole to go down and you know, see some, <laughs> some of their plans. I saw that and I was like, whoa, you know, it's like, I, I wish it, actually for me, I wish it was in the book, but I get it, you know, as a book author myself. Um, I will show you. Your book was a big inspiration for me. I've done two Disney books myself. One is called Frozen and Ice, the story of Walt Disney Productions, 66 to 85, uh -huh. which is the time after Walt was when you were working there, after Walt and before right. Eisner. And because that's when I grew up, early 70s is, you know, a wonderful world of Disney. You know, that was when I was watching the show and after, of course. But And then my more recent book is Stars of Walt Disney Productions, uh, very helpful to have your book because I haven't seen all those TV shows. Although now, you know, this makes it really easy if you don't know about this, unless you're the one running it. I don't know. There's a YouTube channel that's trying to uh, uh, upload like every Disney TV show. I just saw that about three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't do that because I still do stuff for Disney and I, I try to do my best to make sure that I don't have their lawyers come after me. Yeah, so. yeah. I do do a Disney uh, a channel, uh, WWOD TV on YouTube, but I tend to put like old commercials or the opening credits of forgotten shows or, you know, little yeah. bits and pieces of things that run maybe five, seven minutes, but not the, uh, you know, the entire episode. Yeah. My big hope is that those entire episodes will end up on Disney Plus. Yeah. You know, so the more they get diluted on going on a YouTube or something, you know, it kind of dilutes some of the value. So, I tend yeah. not to do that. I mean, I yeah. was able to get Disney to put, uh, you know, uh, uh, Zorro out on DVD, for example. That was about a seven-year effort. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been pushing on some of the stuff for Disney Plus, and you know, some of it shows up. Oh, there's they finally did Zorro. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, keep hoping that more of it will uh, will come out. Right, and that was my all, uh, my big push because. Um, my original goal, you know, is like for Disney, most people probably start with cartoons because that's how they, you know, and then I started getting more and more interest in the live action films. And I had seen most of the live action films that came out late sixties and forward. And then, you know, I, I, once your book came out, I go, wow, there's a whole bunch of shows uh, that I've never seen. And to this day, I've never seen because they're just not out there. And it really kind of frustrates me because uh, I did get Disney Plus for a while. I did abandon it because I want the older stuff. You know, I want I would love to see Gallagher. I've never seen it. You know, if uh, things like that. You know, that's just one that popped in my head. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, it's just more Star Wars, more National Geographic, more Marvel stuff, and it's like that's fine, but I want more Disney stuff. You know, and they're very close to the best about putting anything new you know and they say oh it's low resolution i don't know but no, it's know. Not real, i mean most of the stuff is shot on 35 millimeter they could yeah. scan it and do a, a, a transfer it's just what happens is uh and i had this all along so i was a consultant on the disney channel and you know uh you know i was there when it started and i was a consultant for years but the, do you remember the vaults disney programs the sequence yeah. I was yep. one of the guys who, hey, why don't we take some of this and do some of that? Yeah. So, yeah, do. And one of the things I was doing is, hey, I don't have a copy of this show. This is when you really need the show, so I could take that. Yeah. But what happens is you go to these meetings, and uh, you know, uh, I, 
I'm 71 now, so I'm an old part. You go to a meeting, <laughs> a 20-year-old kid sitting there, 25, 30, whatever, and there's no mileage in for them to take a copy of Gallagher out of the vault and digitize it and stick it on there because anybody could do that. So instead, no, what we need to make is so Raven part seven, you know, they, they come up with some new show or whatever. <laughs> it's very, very hard to convince them. I mean, you mentioned Gallagher. Gallagher is a great series. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it really is. There's a couple episodes where Walt really gets into it, where he dresses up. Uh, I forget the exact one, but he goes into a barber shop and uh, the the, uh, the mellow men with their old Ravenscroft and they're all singing the song about Gallagher, Gallagher bringing in. <laughs> Thing. And they're swinging him around the chair and they're doing all this stuff. And he's really acting it. I mean, it's a great yeah. like, bit of Walt. And, you know, to see this stuff is just great. I I mean, I, Disney Plus does a bunch of stuff I really like. I love The Mandalorian. I love Loki, some of the uh, other stuff. But I, the, the vault, they, they need to take that out and, and put it out there. And to yeah. me, I, I would just be glued to it, you know. I mean, yeah. Not, and, and I would be fine if they did what they used to do back in the days, you know, but they used to do it theatrically where they'd pull something and put it in the vault and then it would come out seven years later. So I would be fine. I would subscribe to Disney Plus now if every so often they just pulled things and put another crop of stuff that I hadn't seen before. You know, it doesn't all have to be out there all at the same time. You yeah, know. you know, every now and then they come up and they put something on. Like they had the uh, uh, Adventures of Spin and Marty and the Hardy Boys. And, you know, that was great to see. Uh, they've just put out a bunch of the, uh, I think about 14 or 16, something like that, old cartoons, beautifully restored. Uh, you know, so there is some nice stuff. And then some of the new programming, like uh, there was one that uh, I, there's a show called uh, Behind the Attractions. Uh, yeah. about how the parse is built and I, i'm on five of those so that has, holds a dear spot to my heart but yeah. uh yeah you just keep hoping they, they they do more and uh you know hopefully they will i keep pushing here pushing there yeah. so that, that that's my vote but uh and also you know it, you know it, it's funny this is part of the reason i wrote the uh frozen and ice book because like i said i grew up post walt i actually was born the day walt disney died Oh, so, um, but that doesn't mean anything. I like the Walt stuff, of course, but, um, you know, it's just, I grew up in the early seventies and, you know, that's the stuff I saw. And so like, uh, when all those Disney tins came out, you know, with Leonard Malton and everything, it was all primarily stuff he grew up with and you grew up with too, you know, so you get your spin and Marty and your Hardy boys and this and that and the other. And it's like, I didn't grow up with that. I grew up with the mouse factory. But there would never be a Mouse Factory tin, you know, even though I would want one, things like that. Well, or at least have you, that on Disney Plus, you know. If Leonard had his way, there'd be a Mouse uh, Mouse Factory tin. I mean, what what we had to go through on some of those was really tough. And they really blew it with some of them. Like, I forget which one they, they did, like the first episodes of El Fago Baca, yeah. the episodes of the Swamp Fox, but they never continued them out. You know, right. and again, those are great stories. Some of them, uh, you know, we've been able to get some of the stuff like um, the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh, yeah. absolutely so, wonderful show, uh, put out on Blu-ray through the the Disney um, um, Movie Club, and yeah. uh, that that was, I mean, that, that I was so glad that was the, for years that was the number one most requested uh, show, and yeah. yet Disney wouldn't put it out. And one of the reasons was they had taken the original negative 
for the three-part show, and then they cut it into a two-part show, and they also cut it into a theatrical. And then they had to go and put all the pieces of the original negative back together, which they did an outstanding job in doing it. Yeah. But it took literally thousands of, of letters. <laughs> now, you know, during the time, you know, like for your book, which I'm, I'm going to have to look it up, it was it was a great time for me to be at Disney, but it wasn't a really great time for Disney. Uh, there were so many people that were um, absolutely frozen by fear. Of what would Walt do? That yep. they wouldn't make a decision on anything. And they'd actually, for the television stuff, gotten themselves into a real problem that when the, the anthology series was doing well, they were getting it uh, renewed for two years at a time, which was unheard of, and four years, six years at a time. Well, the problem is if you start making a TV show today, who the hell knows what audiences are going to be wanting to see six years from now, right? Right. So they got very complacent. They made all the, I mean, they. I, I think they went through the entire uh, animal kingdom, the boy and his dog, the boy and his bear, the boy and the <laughs> owl, the aardvark, the, you know, the, the ocelot, the, you know, the wolverine, you know, everything. And the last couple of years of the anthology series, um, they had some really blah stuff on it, right? And then mm -hmm. luckily Eisner came along and Eisner could be a love it or hate it sort of guy. Yeah. Uh, but he started bringing back the, the Disney Sunday movies and they would, right. <clears throat> excuse me, you know, make the movie The Brat Patrol or uh, you know, Bride of Boogity. And, you know, they, they started putting some money back into it. And all right. of a sudden, the Disney TV thing was exciting again. But when I went there, there was a fellow named Lou Debney. Lou is a great guy. And his uh, son, John Debney, is a famous composer now. But Lou was one of uh, Disney's right-hand men. And uh, he worked on, again, look at the uh, credits. He's been there in Zorro, Davy Crockett, Mickey Mouse, and everything. Right. And we were walking around the back lot one day. And uh, I was you know, saying I had some ideas for TV shows. And he said, well, I'll introduce you to the guys, but they'll never do it because if you do it and you get the money, that's less money than they get. So they can take out the same recycled crap and put their name on it and make money on it. So I went over as I think I was 26 years old, real excited, you know, made my presentation. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're going to do the same recycled crap. Yeah. So when finally I had left Disney, uh, I came, uh, it was really funny. I, I had done the thing, as I mentioned, for the uh, Chicago Museum. And I got a call one day that uh, was the, coming up for the 40th anniversary of Disney television. And uh, the network absolutely hated everything Disney had put in front of them and uh, <laughs> came up with another idea. So I said, uh, yeah, OK, uh, when when do you need it by? And I said, oh, there's no particular rush, but, uh, you know, tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> so I sat down and wrote a proposal on a Thursday for uh, an hour long TV show th to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Disney television. And uh, the next day they called up and said, well, we got good news and bad news. And I said, oh, okay, give me the bad news. And I said, Disney, uh, ABC doesn't want to do an hour on this, this stuff. I said, all right, what's the good news? And I said, they want to do two hours. And I said, oh, uh, wow. Right. I said, yeah, but they need it uh, uh, written up and delivered by Monday. So oh, <laughs> I spent the whole weekend working on it. And I had said, for example, most of the shows up to then had been, let's go to Tomorrowland uh, to celebrate the uh, anniversary of Disneyland. And here's the Pointer Sisters of the Neutron Dance. So I said, I will not do any shows like that. I will not come up with something where we're going just to the, the land and then we're introducing today's musical act. So right. I put the proposal, proposal, pitched it to ABC. They accepted it. And I ended up working and I got my first screen credit from, uh, you know, at the, on a, you know, archival research, et cetera, by Bill Cotter. 
That, that was <laughs> so I, I worked on all sorts of things for Disney, mm -hmm. even though it was Warner Brothers, you know, like I said, TV shows, or mm. I get a call like one night I got a call from Eisner's office. Michael's on stage two. He's hosting a dinner for his college alumni. Somebody asked him what was shot on that stage, and he doesn't know. We can't reach Dave Smith. So I said, well, okay, stage two. I'm thinking real quick. And, you know, you're thinking, well, you'd like to say something like, oh, that's where they did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you know, a non-Disney <laughs> film, see if he'd repeat it. But I said, no, I want to work in this town. So I came up with a list of <laughs> So they, they would call me with all sorts of crazy <laughs> questions. Like one day I got a call when they were getting attacked by some Christian league because of cross-dressing that they had done in some movie. And they wanted to go back with an example of non-animated non characters dressing and drag over the years in prior Disney films. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again. They were dressed as dance hall girls. And then right. in this one, you know, so I, I get these really crazy requests of trying to think about every movie that a guy put a dress on, you know, <laughs> really need it. well, we could really use it within an hour. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> well, it now, was, it was, it's all fun you know it's all good stuff and it comes up and you know you have to enjoy working under a a deadline mm -hmm. um there's one episode uh that you talk about on your website but it sounds like you worked on a lot of stuff but i was just going by what was on the website uh and i think this is an excellent documentary is uh walt the man behind the myth uh i was just curious what your participation was and how yeah, you that was that? really interesting. When I wrote the the uh, TV book, um, you know, it's a fairly good book, as you know. Um, Disney was expecting a 300-page book, and I turned in an 1,100-page book. <laughs> and we finally compromised on 626, I think it is. And unfortunately, the appendix and the index and some of those things went out. But the book came out, and uh, um, I got a call from uh, the Disney family that they were doing a CD-ROM biography of, of Walt uh, okay. and they wanted to have me write the TV section for it. Hmm. So uh, I did and uh, we had a, an unveiling at the, uh, Disneyland in the Lincoln Theater, hmm. which was really interesting. Uh, you know, they, uh, there were about eight of us in a panel and then people would discuss, you know, uh, Walt, because the, the, the thing was all about Walt as an animator, Walt as a theme park guy, Walt as a family man, that sort of stuff. And Diane Disney Miller was one of the people there, obviously, to discuss, you know, Walt in any aspect. Right. And uh, they asked me what my impressions were of Walt. Had I met him? No, I had not. But I, I talked about, uh, you know, how he reminded me of my Uncle Tom with his train set and always wanted to show it off <laughs> every time we visited. And Walt had the best train set of anybody. And I mentioned how I didn't like the boy and his dog story so much, but my father did. And I would watch the shows just because I didn't want to let Uncle Walt down. Well, after that, uh, Diane came up to me that night and said it was one of the nicest things that she had ever heard anybody say about her father. Uh, so let's stay in touch. So I, uh, the last forward time goes, I get the call. Would I like to be part of the, that show, the uh, Walt, the man behind the myth? And that was that was a tough one for me. My son had uh, been uh, taken seriously ill and he was in the hospital. We didn't know he was going to make it. And thank God he did. He's doing great. But I literally had gone about four days with two hours sleep, you know, uh, per night. And we had just brought him home that day. And they said, can you still do your, your part? So I went over there and uh, you talk about an intimidating thing. You're sitting on a stage where uh, you're in the center and there's lights shining at you. And in the background, you just see a set of chairs and silhouettes. And it's the Disney family members all sitting there watching as you're talking about 
their father, their <laughs> grandfather, you know, uncle, that sort of stuff. And uh, so that was that was really a uh, um, of all the things I've done for Disney, that's the thing I still remain most proud of. It was uh, it, we had, you know, unfortunately, 9-11 hit and all commercial TV went off. And when ABC came uh, back on, the first uh, commercial program they showed was Walt's Man Behind the Myth. And I was working at Universal that, uh, at that time, and I walked in the next day, and people were like, you're a computer security guy. What were you doing on TV last night? I said, long story. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and then I worked. Uh, 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 Diane then asked if I would uh, do some work on the Disney Family Museum. And my daughter, who's not easily impressed by anything, still tells the story. We drove up to San Francisco, and mm-hmm. Diane came and picked us up at our hotel, took us out to the Presidio to show us the building they had just bought. But my daughter still tells people, Walt well, Disney's daughter took us out for the day. She bought us lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that museum. I'm, I'm from the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and I've gone there a few times. I'm in Oregon now, but anyway. <laughs> well, I, um, I think the museum is great. I would, again, I, I was so lucky to be able to ask to work on that. I've, I've given yeah. I think, three different talks, uh, three at the museum and a couple of virtual ones for them. Great uh, resource. You know, sorry we lost the both of the Millers, but right. uh, you know, just uh, again, right spot, right time. Mm-hmm. Who who kind of is left in the family? I should know this, but I mean, you know, it's like you lost them, and also Roy Disney, and uh, you know, and so well, the, the is there anybody even with the Disney name that's still kind of behind the scenes at this point yeah yeah and uh you, you've got uh you know walter uh jr and uh you know uh this is a i don't I'll, I'll i'm gonna make sure i don't name all the kids because i'll miss one and then so yeah, I'll, that's, that's fine but uh uh the, their daughter is very very active in the museum and uh th- there's still a, a very good disney connection uh okay you know, between the uh the family and, and certainly a museum and therefore more of a dotted line over to uh to the company because there's you know, you can imagine that relationship has ups and downs at times. Right, right. Because, you know, you never hear about that too much nowadays. It's always Bob Iger or, you know, the guy that was in the interim between Bob Iger's Joe first Fred, tenure yeah. and stuff like that. And you, know, and, you know, and Eisner, of course, and things like that. So you never hear about the Disney family proper. And I know this museum was kind of done separately. I mean, it's connected in this disney way but you know not you know where it's you know walt disney product or the walt disney company or whatever you want to call it you know and they wanted to yeah. celebrate walt the the man and that's what we really try to end up you know for all the exhibits there and the things that worked mm-hmm. on it uh you know i had some good friends like uh bruce gordon was an imagineer who died uh, way too young he he was very uh involved in the museum paul mm-hmm. lowry who uh, was one of the disney archivists and then left the company and still contributes tremendously to its exhibits and touring shows and stuff we all wanted to you know show walt the uh, the real man and not the uh you know not the myth you know, uh, <laughs> you know um yeah and w- again the walt disney company can do anything it wants today good bad or indifferent it can't undo any of the wonderful things that walt did and the family wanted to focus on him and not the walt disney company mm-hmm and I thought uh, it, it, they did an excellent job with it. So I was surprised because I was saying, can this be interesting? You know, <laughs> but well, as you walk through, it's very, very interesting. And you could spend 
more than a day there you know it's like well, that's why i've gone back many times because there's just so much to see so well, and plus they have so many uh uh temporary exhibits uh yeah, we were there. a couple of years ago they had a dolly exhibit and uh you know i mean if you've ever seen the destino the short film uh you, you know wow how they thought they were going to put something together what they exhibit they had up there explaining the whole friendship between them and what they were working on it was good to see and yeah, then they'll go up there and the next time will be uh, the you know Walt Disney the wartime years you know various things so yeah every time I go up I enjoy seeing what the uh, uh, traveling exhibit is plus they do rotate things and out of the uh, um, you know the main museum I just always keep hoping I go back they haven't taken out any of my stuff so <laughs> right now, now you say you're basically retired but do you still contribute things to the museum or Disneyland or Disney Company or anything or yeah, uh, you know, I've been very lucky in that regard. Um, a couple of years ago, it was about four years ago, not something mm -hmm. like that. Well, yeah. I've spoken at a couple of, of the D23 conventions. So uh, a couple of years ago, they were coming up with a thing, uh, Destination uh, Disney, uh, about the 64 World's Fair. So mm -hmm. uh, that was right at the time the movie Tomorrowland was coming out, and they had me go down to Florida uh, I was the uh, opening speaker to introduce people what the World's Fair was and how it influenced Disney. Uh, and then I, I did a panel discussion with Bob Gurr. We sat there and discussed, you know, how the Magic Skyway was done. Uh, another D23 convention, I came and gave a talk about Zorro, uh, that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. I did five <laughs> episodes of the uh, 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 Behind the Attraction show. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, anytime they need something old, I'm, I'm more than glad to, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> come out and, and and do it so uh and then i've, I've been very fortunate i've been uh, asked to speak in a number of other groups and organizations besides the uh, disney well one thing that was really interesting was i was talking to the disney archivist when we were working on the uh, the tomorrowland movie mm -hmm. and uh we were saying that if it wasn't for the world's fair um because the opening act of that movie of course is set at the 64 fair they're saying if it wasn't for the World's Fair, would there even be a Walt Disney Company today? You know, because uh, besides the automobile animatronics and all the technological things, they convinced Walt that there was an East Coast audience for his what he thought of a homespun humor. Right. Well, if there hadn't been a Disney World, you know, would there be a Walt Disney Company like it was today? So I put together a presentation for Disney, gave it at the Disney Theater, and there was simulcast out to the other Disney theme parks. That explained, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, the Walt Disney, you know, Walt first got in, interested in World's Fairs back in 1933, Chicago, then 1939, New York, Brussels. And I take them all the way up to modern day and how, you know, uh, you look at Epcot as a modern day World's Fair. But right. I was able to put that together for them. And they had me do that at a couple different presentations. Uh, it was really one kick. Uh, I, I gave it at the Disneyland at the Golden Horseshoe Review for the uh uh, the, uh, for the retirees club, and I, I, I got it. I was up on the stage, and I said, "Hey, man, look at me! I'm, I'm highlighting the horseshoe." And since I can't sing or dance, this is great. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's been really gratifying because I've gotten over time things more. There was a, when I was down at uh, the D23 in Florida, I ran into a guy that's an astrophysicist for uh, NASA, probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met, and he was on the team that uh, helped repair the Hubble Space Telescope. So we became friends, and he said something about uh, NASA's presence at World's Fairs. And I said, yeah, you know, they were at the 62. Well, they had a little thing at Brussels in 58 because it was just being formed, but they were at the 62, 64. Next mm -hmm. thing, 
invited to come down and speak at the Goddard Men's uh, Space Flight Center in, in Maryland. So a whole room full of you know rocket scientists. And I said, <laughs> this is like coming home because I used to be a rocket scientist before I went off into entertainment. So I <laughs> met some really, really great people uh, over the years. And it, it's funny, about a month ago, yeah, just about maybe five, six weeks ago, there was a... Uh, event at Walt's Barn in Griffith Park here in the, in uh, the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. And I, I just went out, uh, uh, Becky Klein, the archivist, and Paula Sigmund Lowry were signing books, and I just went out to say hi. And I was standing there watching this uh, guy I know playing di- a medley of Disney music, and this kid kind of like tapped on my arm, and I thought I was blocking his view or something, and he <laughs> said, are you Bill Cotter? And I said, yeah, why? He goes, oh, I, I've seen you on Disney+. Plus." How do I become an Imagineer? And I was just <laughs> mind-boggled that this kid recognized me at all. <laughs> knew my name. So mm-hmm. I, I said, well, you know, uh, I, I applied for Disney and, and I couldn't get my own job today. And But, you know, what you got to do is you got to study, you got to uh, go to school, you got to get a degree, you got to work really hard. And his father was really happy because the kid didn't always like to do homework. And I said, no, you got to be the top of your class. You got to... Right. And then don't let anybody say no. I said, I had originally sent Disney a letter, you know, saying I'd like to come work for you. And they said, yeah, if you're ever in the area, drop in. So, okay. They didn't say no. They didn't say yes. <laughs> I'm dropping in. So, uh, you know, I, I, it, it was just a thrill to me to be able to talk to this 12-year-old and try to give him some sort of energy boost or inspiration that, you know, it's it's a very hard field to get into something like Imagineering today. But you can do it if you try and you got to make yourself stand out from the 150 other people that are also applying to the job. Mm-hmm. So that, that was very gratifying. And like I said, I've met some, some really great and wonderful people along my, my ride. And, uh, you know, uh, some people that are, you know, like I said, going out for a, a night of drinking with Bess Parker. That's great. <laughs> some of the other things are, you know, people that you wouldn't necessarily know, but they made incredible contributions to the Disney you know, uh, legacy by inventing this little widget that did that, that did, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I, again, super lucky, uh, you know, uh, I, I count myself very blessed to have met so many wonderful people and, and made friends of some of them. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go, there's a few other subjects that don't kind of fit in. You've mentioned some of them, so I'll just kind of shoehorn it in here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have a, a a Zorro page on one of your websites. And um, uh, let me preface this by saying Camden Spees is an animation historian. He's a younger person. Uh, he, he recommended me getting you on the podcast here, which I thank him and I thank you for doing this. Um, but he had a question. He says, if you get Bill on the show, <laughs> ask him this. Uh, he says, when will we get an updated Zorro episode guide? <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's, like, that's a good question. You know, Zorro was funny. Uh, that was the first chapter I wrote of the book because um, it was one of my favorite, favorite shows. Uh, yeah, I figured. I, I think <laughs> Guy Williams was just absolutely perfect in the part. Yes. Gene Sheldon. I mean, everyone, uh, Britt Monast- you know, Brit Loman is monasterial. I mean, every part of it. So I wrote the the Disney uh, the, the that chapter and it was I went to a, a convention it was back at the time they were called the National Fantasy Fan Club and I I gave a talk on Zorro and I I, you know, I told everybody uh, and again I'm going to date myself the first chapter is online on a service called CompuServe and you can download it <laughs> and if you like it please write to Disney and uh, you know convince them they'd like to see the rest of the book right. 
So I did this convention and a couple months go by and I get a call from Disney. Okay, we're going to do your book. And they said, we have to ask though, do you have a very large family? And I said, no, not overly. You know, why? I said, because we were getting letters to do your book from, you know, uh, basically every state in the country. But we started getting them from Bolivia, from, uh, you know, the UK, <laughs> from Chad, from Japan. How did you do it? And I said, well, I put a, a, a chapter from my book on the Internet and asked people to write to you. And, and this is no joke. They said, what's the Internet? Ooh. <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> in addition to uh, what you call it, uh, publishing my book, I made more money on helping set up Disney.com than I made on the book. <laughs> Something wow. I just didn't expect it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I, I did do the um, I did the whole set of uh, Zorro and I did a very small episode uh, description of each one. Because back at the time that I, I first did it, we were on, you know, uh, 300 baud dial up modems and that sort of stuff. So every picture I made very small and, and it kept everything short. Well, over time, I've realized now, uh, you know, you can make it, you know, something like gigabytes and people download it, fiber, whatever. So I've gone through and uh, I've got, it won't show up behind me with a virtual background, but the whole wall behind me is uh, 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 binders uh, like uh, the Disneyland series, 1955, 57, you know, every particular year. And I've got all the uh, Disney, the Zorro press kits and a zillion photos and everything. So I did the first 13 episodes in, in depth and put production uh, pictures and everything. And I was working like that on, on crazy. And then, oh, pretty picture. You know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm a publisher <laughs> for my world Fair book. Says, Could you do another book on World Fairs? So I said, oh, OK. You know, and then at, at one point I had three of them going at a time. So it, it's and meanwhile, all those books sit behind me getting dust. And I, I really need to get back to it. Um, I, unfortunately, I'm so busy these days. I, I theoretically retired. I don't know if I've ever been busier. <laughs> I I, I'm a volunteer for the Los Angeles Police Department. So yeah. um, I, I've been doing that 31 years now. But I go on patrol like I'll be out tomorrow for six hours driving around trying to catch people breaking into houses. Wow. So I, I spend more and more time doing that, and I manage the other volunteers. And it, yeah, I'm looking at those books and I'm doing <laughs> right now. So, so tell Canvin that's an incentive, and uh, I, I will okay. get back to. I, I actually, what I've done is I've mocked out a whole bunch of the but okay. uh, the next thirteen episodes. But now I've got to go and scan it because I do all the pro web programming myself. I've got to do all the HTML coding and put everything in there. It's just I, I need to get to it, but. Yeah. It, the, the fact that I know somebody's actually looking for it gives me an incentive yeah. to work so harder on it. Well, well, Camden and I were talking one day, and this is separate from you, but you know, you'd probably agree with us. It's like we were just trying to determine what was the best thing that Disney did for TV, and we both determined. And he, you know, he's a lot younger; he's in his twenties. I'm in my fifties. Uh, but Zorro was the best thing Disney ever did for television, and it's like you know. I think it captures everything. I think it it's better than Davy Crockett. I mean, people love Davy Crockett and things like that. I get it. But and people love Mickey Mouse Club, I get it. But you know, I think Zorro was he hit the nail on the head and got it just right, you know, it's like and made a very action-packed adventure show. It could have lasted a little bit longer. I understand the reasons why it didn't, but you know, at least we got the two seasons and some of the movies, you know, that they did after. Yeah. In the four one hour episodes, yeah. yeah I mean, Zorro, I, I again, I, I, I just love it. Absolutely, think it was uh, wonderful. That's why 
you know, pushing to get it out on DVD. Uh, Leonard and I pushed and pushed mm. and pushed, <laughs> and finally they said, we're going to do it. And I was very happy to be, uh, you know, one of the talking heads interviewed on, on the, you know, the, the cans for that. Um, yeah. it, it, I'd say that was one, definitely one of his best. I mentioned the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. Have you ever seen yeah. that? Yes. And I, I do mean, have that on Blu-ray too. So yeah. yeah. Uh, a great, great thing. I was a big, huge Patrick McGowan fan. So when yeah. I, I used to go to England every couple of weeks for work, I actually went to the church where they uh, filmed the whole thing. And my poor wife is sitting in the car rocking our daughter <laughs> sleep, And I'm inside going on the Southern coast of England, what in men's hotel, you know, I, mean, I was just geeking in heaven with it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, and then the, the thing with Walt is, he did so much of it. And there, there were some shows, like I said, after a while, the boy and his aardvark stories were thin on me. But <laughs> really neat stuff. And uh, you, you look at some of it today, also realizing nobody else was doing this before him. And he, he did the first stereo television show. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, put your AM radio over here and your FM radio over here, and we're going to broadcast and you listen in stereo. I mean, nobody did stuff like that. I mean, he uh, he, he did so many things that were just, groundbreaking and and you know, every now and then one of them like he'd watch one of them and go eh, okay you know yeah you know uh, roger maris didn't get every hit, hit when he was getting all his home <laughs> runs you know uh but as a body of work i i don't think anybody else compares to it i mean uh it's just phenomenal that's why i get so mad it's all sitting in cans right now, i have almost everything they ever did on video you know here in the house over the years so I might be able to help you out with an episode of Gallagher, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I will definitely help you out with that. Um, but yeah, Zorro was just, it was wow. I mean, yeah, Mike Williams was so good. And uh, again, I, I've done the presentation at D23 and, and that was really fun because I got to go and spend the day at the Disney photo library and just, you know, they said, whatever you want to use in your presentation. So, you know, and, and like thousands and thousands and thousands of photos. Yeah. So we just sat there going through well, what what's this one? Where'd this one come from? <laughs> you know, fun stuff. So yeah. get them behind the scenes shots and uh, you know, uh, like I, I talk in one of my uh, the presentation. There's a shot of a, a small oven on the back lot that in a real uh, Mexican town you would have been baking bread in. It's never seen in an episode, it's never a plot device of anything, but for the amount of uh, authenticity you wanted, a real village would have had that oven, and there it is on the back lot. So when I went to Disney, when I mentioned way hours ago when we first started talking, I, I was walking around. I would come walking around the bend, and there's the Zorro set. Yeah. In front of me. So I had to run up the, you know, the stairs, yeah. that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it was still there. I mean, the quartel yeah. was still there. It was just phenomenal. Yeah. So actually be on the set and walk in and out of the stuff was, it was you know, it's just great memories. I feel fortunate that... Um... I actually managed to walk on that set like the year before they tore it down. So, oh, yeah. Because I had a friend. It was my roommate's... Uh, how was it? His roommate's cousin's mother worked for Disney. Now, I unfortunately don't remember her name, but she was uh, administrative assistant to Frank Wells and mm-hmm. I think Michael Eisner. And this is around 1987, 88. I can't remember the exact year. I have my parking pass somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I went in for like just an informational interview. I had no clue if I was ever going to work for Disney or anything. <laughs> and I was in Northern California at the time too. So it's like, um, it was just a sneaky way for me to get into Disney just once and look around. 
And so we went and did the interview and she says, well, we don't have any real positions right now, but keep in touch. And well, I really didn't, my life went different directions, but uh, she says, uh, you can stay here as long as you want. You have your pass. Uh, don't get into trouble, but you can do whatever you want. So I went over to Disney Archives. I did meet David Smith. I I looked at Disney news magazines just to see old stuff, you know, because, you know, they were there. So, and uh, then I walked around the lot, you know, everybody's all friendly and everything. And I was wearing a suit, so I looked all professional and everything. And I go, oh, my God, the sets for Zorro are still here, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I was looking around and, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't the day like now with cell phone and everybody has a camera. You know, I didn't have a camera with me, but I was just like, ah, you know, and they're just taking it all in, you know. Well, that's one regret I have. When I worked, it was a very firm rule of no photography. Yeah. Uh, if you uh, back then you had to have, I think they called it a white card or something. And if you were, if you didn't have that, you know, between the union and everything else, uh, they uh, you could get in big trouble. So yeah. I, I so, figured, you know, but I, I, you know, back then we didn't have it on no. our person, so it didn't even come, you know, you know. Oh yeah, no. So yeah. now today I go back and I have a zillion pictures of me standing at Mickey Avenue and all the rest of it. But back then, none of us had pictures, you know, that it's just in our in our memories. Right. But That's funny. <laughs> when I got there, they were shooting the movie uh, Peach Dragon. Oh yeah. And uh the uh, uh they put a whole harbor out in the back lot, you know, dug it with boats and wave machines and everything. And in my building was uh where they had the dressing rooms for the actors and uh I got to be friends with Shelly Winters and, you know, she'd come back dressed as, you know, Gogan and, you know, with this horrible makeup and she's taking <laughs> the makeup off. She's saying, pour me a scotch. Okay. I won yourself. Okay. And I was saying, <laughs> I'm out in LA three weeks and I'm knocking out scotch with Shelly Winters. This is great. Wow. You know, pictures of any of that? No. Cause we no. Yeah, <laughs> it's the job, but, uh, the memories at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, uh, Fortel was still there and there were still, um, um, you know, very recognizable that the, the uh, little uh, pond where they did uh, Lieutenant Robinson Crusoe was still there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, they they took the Quartel set and, and changed some of that uh, for two things. The Treasure of Matacumbe movie, they made it to New yeah. Orleans. And then they also used it for uh, How the West Was Won, a TV series with James Arness. Mm -hmm. So they, they, that was on one side of the street. It was this, but the Quartel was still over there. Then they tore it down, put up a parking garage. Right. You know, it's, it's a shame, but. Yeah. So I'm just glad I got in there before that happened. So. Yeah, glad well, you made it. It was yeah. great. <laughs> and uh, in those years, I might have still been walking right past you as I was Probably. Uh, when book. did your book come out? When did this come out? 97, I think. 97, okay. Yeah. Because I bought this the second it came out. I said, this is the book I wanted. You know, <laughs> this, you know? Now, Disney and I have <laughs> about redoing it because they took so much out of it and cut it out and they did a wonderful job i had a fantastic yeah. editor but now i keep saying how do if i did the book with just the walt years and we throw out you know the golden girls but you know two sentence thing or something i just got to get my button gear you know and yeah finish so it is long out of print right yeah. does it does it command high price i didn't even look on ebay and stuff like that you know Sometimes I'll, I'll see it and it will sell for four ninety five, and the next week it will sell for forty nine ninety five. So, oh, you know. <laughs> at least it's it's obtainable. You know, it's like I always say, it like we we keep mentioning Zorro. 
you know, if you didn't get those Zorro sets when they first came out, you know, they're like 400 bucks a pop, you know, which I wish they put them out again. You know, it's like. Um, What's surprising to me is that a book turns up at strange places. The picture behind me is a Boy Scout camp in the Catskill Mountains of New York. Yeah. And I was just, but I go back to every year, uh, to, you know, I'm one of the, on the board of directors and everything. So I was back there three weeks ago and I go into the dining hall and I'm talking to people I haven't seen in a year or so. And a guy came up with a copy of the book to have me sign because he knew it was going to be there. I did not expect that in the middle of the Catskills. <laughs> Very cool. Um, just another question about Zora. This is out of curiosity. So when you did put it on video, originally it was, a, the, did you have anything to do with it? It was a colorized version that came through the Disney Movie Club. Right. And uh, then it came out as the Disney Tins. I mean, did you have anything to do with that colorized version that no, not, I, not I many people get... like? <laughs> <laughs> I helped get uh, Disney on the uh, on the, uh, the Disney Channel. Uh, okay. That was one of the things for the swashbuckling stuff. And then we combined it when we did the uh, um, you know the Disney Legends and Heroes. We would basically have you know uh, an hour of Davy Crockett, half an hour of Zorro. You know, make it a ninety minute block. The colorization was done for uh, one, for Disney Television International. The uh, uh, Zorro had never had as big a uh, following on international television as it had uh, for domestic. So they were convinced that if they could colorize it, they would uh, be able to resell it as a new product. So it was done by the international division. And I thought under the limitations of what you had at the time, that they did a fairly good job. And they were lucky that they still had a number of the original Zorro costumes and props that they could go and say, was this jacket red or green and try to you know match mm -hmm. it up as much as they could. So uh, it's not perfect. You know, I mean, colorization is a real challenge for anybody that's ever done it. And I've worked on some of it. It can be a real bear. So uh, now when we came up, we wanted to put the thing out on video. Uh, the Disney powers that be first said, oh, we could put out the colorized version through the Disney Music Club because everybody just wants color. And we said, no, 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 no. Mm. We like to go black and white. And we'd love to have the uh, next week on Zorro and, you know, all the little extras. The trouble was, and we had so much footage. I have footage, for example, of Guy as the uh, uh, master of ceremonies in the Portland, uh, uh, New York, Portland, Oregon Rose Parade. Mm. And uh, I mentioned in the book how he was uh, in a car. He wouldn't be on a horse because the horse they gave him was very temperamental and he didn't want to <laughs> ride so then they put a five-year-old kid on it, and the, the, the horse was okay for the kid. Well, I have all this movie footage, right? Mm -hmm. We had so much stuff of the Zorro cast at, at Disneyland, at the Hollywood Bowl. Disney said, we have no money to digitize it. We have no budget. We, we can't afford to do it. So there was so much we wanted to put on those DVDs that just, I mean, we're holding, Leonard and I are holding stuff in our hands saying, take it, please. And I go, no, we can't afford it. Oh, so uh, <laughs> you, you just hope if they ever ever redo it that they you know take us up on some of that. I mean some some really great fantastic yeah. stuff. But uh, the the trouble is with with Disney, you know to me to you like with your book. If if, if you were able to say hey I sold a uh, hundred thousand copies of the book, you'd probably be real happy, right? Yeah. The Disney hundred thousand is nothing. You got to sell five million of this, eight million of that. Right. Right. So we'd find ourselves pitching things that. We know that these tins, we could sell 50,000 of these tins. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, 50,000. Um, you know, you know, <laughs> very, uh, very frustrating. So you put them out, and, and I'll tell you how cheap Disney is. 
yeah. to get the tins, I had to buy my own copies. Wow. So I, I put things together. I brought in people. We did all that sort of stuff. We don't have any money to give you a copy. So I'm, I, uh, so I, I, I bought a copy, and then they heard that I was bitching to people. They hadn't given me a copy, so they gave me another copy. And by yeah. that time, we were going for $300 a thing. I gave them to a really super good friend of mine that's, yeah. you know, he's done me a zillion favors. I was glad I was able to give them to him. But, you know, so many of us will tell you, you work for this stuff for Disney. You do it at labor of love. You know, yeah. You're, yeah. you're not going to get rich on it. <laughs> wow. But do you think Disney would, like, look at how it sells, or if it even does sell, but how it's marketed on eBay and Amazon and stuff like that, where they are you know, priced uh, at $300, $400 on most of those tins, you know, the Annette tins up there, Donald Duck Volume 4 is up there, even the Scarecrow Romney Marsh, that's up there. I think it's come down a little bit because it did come out on Blu-ray, but, you know, um, like Zorro, well, there's a candidate for Blu-ray, you know, it's like... Yeah, but think of it again, <laughs> go back to what I said earlier, the 26-year-old kid that's sitting in a room, that if he puts out Zorro... It's not his mark, but if he can go and convince somebody that he ought to be the executive producer of, you know, the Mandalorian Part Seven, you know, and that's that's the trouble you're working with the the current people there today. And I, if I was them, I'd probably be doing the same thing. I'd want to have the Bill Cotter show as opposed to the Walt Disney show. Yeah, you know, that's the trouble you're working with people that have yeah. that they, they want to. You got to be realistic. Most people do not go to a movie studio and stay there for like. 15 years like I did at Warner's. People are here six months, they're gone in a month, they're gone, and they go yeah. into Disney and they're trying to sell something, market it, and then move on to uh, uh, oh, go to Warner's. And from Warner's, you bounce here, you go back and back at Disney, back here. So people are always trying to sell yeah. a project as opposed to, you know, a career yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. I, I, I just always think like, you know, I'll use Warner Brothers and you work there. <laughs> Uh, they have their Warner Archive label, and they seem to do okay with it. And they, they you know, they they acknowledge their past. And you know, I don't know if you uh, know who Jerry Beck is. I, oh yeah, so, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, and he's always working with the people at Warner Brothers to get them to put Looney Tune collections that don't that have cartoons that haven't been released in that format before and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, you know, I w I wish Disney would do a similar type thing. Of course, they can put their current stuff, the Star Wars and the Marvel stuff, and blah blah blah. Who wouldn't? But you know, to ignore the past, you know, it's like yeah, they're kind of acknowledging the past, giving it some lip service because the company is a hundred years old this year. But what are they going to do next year? Just not talk about it again? <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, so. there's also another factor. It, it all depends on how the original contracts for some things were written. Uh, if you look through my book, for example, you're not going to find a picture of Fess Parker. Uh, you're not going to find a picture of the Musketeers. And I, I discussed this with Fess because, again, Fess and I worked in a number of different projects uh, over the years and appeared at various uh, you know, conventions and things together. The trouble was the contracts that he signed as Davy Crockett, he got paid pretty little to be Davy Crockett, but he got 7.5%, if that's the number, I think, of the list price of any merchandise item, right? Mm -hmm. So if I were to put a picture of Fess in the book and going by the original Disney contract, he would get 7.5% of the cover price of the book. Ooh. <laughs> One picture, right? Now yeah. I got a picture of Annette in there, who I knew and got along great and everything. She's going to get something like 6.2%. You start putting together pictures uh, enough stuff, and for every copy sold, Disney would have lost like $22 in paying things out. 
So I, I, I talked to Fess and said, could I get a picture of you in a book? And he said, look, I'd really like to do it, but my business manager will go crazy because if I do it for you, somebody else is going to come along and somebody else is going to come along and somebody else is going to come along. So yeah. I said, what if I buy you another drink? Okay, fine. You know, uh, <laughs> so that, that becomes part of it. The Mouseketeers sued to Disney for any use of the Mickey Mouse Club on anything other than broadcast television. Mm. Uh, they sued about it being on uh, the... Uh, what you call it, the Mickey uh, on the Disney Channel. They sued about putting it out on videotape, and you know they had to come up with all sorts of uh, agreements. So now, if you go to take something like Gallagher and you want to put yeah. that on, uh, you know, the Disney Plus, literally Disney has an entire building, the Roy Disney Building, full of uh, lawyers, and they've got to go through every character <laughs> appears in it and everybody that did anything and look at their contracts and figure out what they can do, how they can do it, and it. A lot of times it's just, it's not worth the effort, throw it away. Let's go make something new where we have rock yeah. solid contracts that say for, you know, the, for Earth, the known universe and any form of communication invented now or maybe invented in the future, you have to sign your life away. In the 50s, they weren't doing that. And the lawyers are a tremendous problem. And, you know, I'm not picking on them. They got to defend Disney. Yeah. But sometimes they really defend it to the point of being frustrating. And I get it. I mean, to, to the point of I'm not defending him necessarily, but, uh, you know, the Peggy Lee thing where she had it in her contract <laughs> that, you know, future <laughs> forms of, uh, you know, I don't know how she had it phrased, but it was something talking about future formats, you know, and, you know, it got Lady in the Tramp to be pulled for a while, you know, <laughs> until they got that situation worked out. So I get it, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the, the sort of world we live in, you have to protect yourself. <laughs> I just want it all. Um, you know, all the one all. thing that is also kind of weird, and this is just a side, and then we'll just kind of leave it at this, is I always thought Disney was meticulous about keeping everything. And, you know, when we started off talking, you, you kind of acted like they, they didn't keep a very good archive of the TV stuff or anything. Well, yeah. yes and no. What happens okay. uh, on most of the TV stuff, they have a very good archive. Now, what they don't have a lot of stuff is like outtakes, for example, because okay. the film balls of the studio, if you were at the studio walking around, are very small, and they didn't have a lot of room. Uh, now they store stuff in salt mines and all sorts of other things. But at that point in time, they were very finite. So you had a bunch of screen tests for 150 unknown kids trying to be Musketeers. <laughs> the show was on the air. They just threw the screen test. What do you need them for? Yeah. Now, we found the screen test of Tim Considine for The Adventures of Spin and Marty, but he was actually, he was going for the Marty part in it. And the only way we found that was they did a, a reel to be sent out to prospective uh, advertisers on Here Comes the Mickey Mouse Club, and we're going to have this exciting serial, The Adventures of Spin and Marty. And they put mm -hmm. in screen tests, but they hadn't shot the real serial yet. So that's how his screen test survived. And I, I was... You know, when I gave it to him, he was thrilled. He didn't think he'd ever see that thing again. You know? <laughs> uh, but so a lot of that stuff was gone. Now, the one series that was missing yeah. uh, was called Meet Me at Disneyland. And right. that was a real one-off thing where uh, basically the concept was Walt would go to Disneyland and he would happen to run into uh, Fred McMurray. Hey, Fred, you're here for the parade. Yeah, I am. And, uh, oh, it's been great to see you. I haven't seen you since we finished making the Afterminer Professor. Oh, yeah, the scene where we did with the flying car. And then they would cut in. Right. you know things from the thing so it was uh, shot with 35 millimeter inserts but it was done on a live uh performance at disneyland and it was done on video uh, and basically 
at that point in time, nobody knows if anybody made a kinescope recording of it mm. that would have preserved it. So uh, I went and, uh, uh, you know, I, I find out about the show. Well, Disneyland, the studio had next to nothing on it because from their point of view, it was a Disneyland production. Luckily, Robert Tiemens, the assistant archivist at the time, found a set of beautiful leather-bound books down at Disneyland. Every episode that listed everything you could want to know, the scripts, how much they paid Fred McMurray for his mileage, you know, uh, what he had for lunch that day. I mean, <laughs> everything. So I was able to reconstruct, and they had lots of still photos that they had taken. So I was able to reconstruct all the episodes from the scripts and from the still photos. But I, I wrote to the TV stations. I wrote to the production company that they had rented the TV equipment from. I wrote to every sponsor that appeared on the show. And all we found so far is about a 30-second audio clip that somebody, for some reason, had on, on tape that they erased the rest of the tape. But there's, you know, 30 seconds of them talking about, wow, meet me at Disneyland. This is so much fun to be here. I can't. And it stops. <laughs> We also found, uh, you know, when I first got to Disney, being a World's Fair fan, I went and I went to see all their files in the World's Fair, and they had yeah. next to nothing. Yeah. And that's because it was organized by the studio, built by uh, WED, operated by Disneyland, and then <laughs> after the fair, everybody figured somebody else kept all that. So now again with space, you know, I don't have a lot of space. I'll throw it out. The guys at Disneyland, they'll have it. The guys at WED, they'll have it. So when I first asked uh, Dave Smith to bring me the uh, World's Fair files, it was about 12 pages of stuff. Wow. So that's why when they were going to do the movie Tomorrowland, Disney had nothing, and they came to me and said, could wow. you help us recreate the World's Fair? Do you have maps and blueprints and pictures and all the rest of it? That's how I heavily got involved in that. Overall, though, Disney has the most complete archives of any of the studios in town. Uh, they have yeah. saved more stuff than anybody else. Yeah. Uh, they have... Uh, I don't think there's any TV shows or anything that have gotten lost, you know, yeah. uh, over time, other than Meet Me at uh, Disneyland. Yeah. They did uh, Kodak 59, where they first go and unveil the Matterhorn and all that stuff. That was mm. thought lost, and they found a copy of that back at Eastman Kodak. So we keep looking for stuff that, you know, is, is yeah. not immediately available. But they, nope. did, well, they did a whole thing when they did the... Uh, the Happiest Millionaire, Walt's last live action movie. Yeah. They were doing a live action TV show where, you know, they just happen to meet people and do that sort of thing. And they shot a whole bunch of it because we've got the stills and the, the uh, uh, what you call it, the, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the scripts and everything. But nobody can find any footage, you know, because again, <laughs> production's canceled, throw yeah. it out, we don't need it. The one that comes to my mind, which is the theatrical, is just uh they reconstructing bed knobs and broomsticks you would think that all the clips that were cut would have been saved because disney saves everything apparently but i guess not well, <laughs> so yes that's the one no. I sometimes yeah. like scott mcqueen was the film archivist for years and uh he would find things in a can that would be labeled you know uh mr mouth goes to town or something or or you know and it'd open up and it'd be bed knobs and broomsticks you know it means things hmm. that get stuck in the wrong can hmm. So they reconstructed a whole sequence out of uh, The Happiest Millionaire. At the very end of the movie, Fred McMurray and Greer Garson are singing It Won't Be Long to Christmas. Right. My friend Stacia Martin had found the elements, because uh, she's a huge uh, fan of the film. We were doing an a anniversary uh, briefing of, uh, of the, uh, the Happiest Millionaire, which we had. Uh, we showed at the Disney Theater, and then we had like the Sherman Brothers and A.J. Carruthers, and everybody came back to my house 
uh, for a big happiness millionaire party, which was great. But Sasha, mm -hmm. all this footage and everything, they put together uh, the, the thing we did at the uh, the studio uh, in the theater. And then uh, what happened? They managed to lose it. So uh, <laughs> you're right with you. I'm getting pages, dinner time. Okay, we'll wrap so it up here. <laughs> they, they, we found that footage. They lost the footage. So when we did the movie again to come out, now they had to have oh who's a real good Fred McMurray impersonator you know or you know to, right. to do some of that stuff same sort of thing they had to do in bed knobs and broomsticks right <laughs> who can do David Tomlinson or you know what whatever so Roddy McDowell was one yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah, well so um. Have I have to go to uh, <laughs> I have to go to dinner too. Uh, so let we'll call it uh, quits here. But you know you're a fascinating guest. Uh, I should have you back at some point. We'll talk again. But you know I want to thank you for being on the Fun Ideas podcast. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, we'll promote your book one more time <laughs> if you can find it. It's out of print, but it's a great book. The Wonderful World of Disney Television: A Complete History by Bill Cotter. And it's a big thing. yeah. It just does. Oh, uh, it was funny. <laughs> just on the side of it, real quick there, real, oh. real quick. The book came out, and you see how big they put my name on the side of it. And, yeah. Uh, I was at a, a event uh, uh, again with Robert Tiemann's the archivist and everything, and he was giving a uh, he was saying stuff. When you come on the screen, I'm going to make fun of everything that you've said wrong in the screen. And uh, uh, Leonard Malton was sitting in front of him and said, Yeah, yeah, but Bill's in the show. You're not. So Robert, to this day, doesn't give me, he keeps swearing I paid people to put my name on the book in that big, uh, big type. But if people do go to BillCotter.com, I do have a bunch of other Disney stuff on there. Like you mentioned the Zorro stuff about the Golden Oak Ranch. But I, uh, I do have a section of all the appendices that got cut out of the book. I do offer on CD-ROM if people want to know all about all the canceled shows. All the merchandising, uh, you know, the all, all the stuff. I think there's 13 appendices that fell on the proverbial cutting room floor. You can get through the website. Okay. And quick question, then we'll let you go. Are you doing any personal appearances in the next few months or anything like that? Uh, you know, no. I just literally finished the last <laughs> of them about a month ago. I I do do my own uh live uh, uh talk every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock uh California time. And uh, it's uh, if you go to worldsfairphotos.com, which is my one of my other websites, I'll talk about Zorro one week, Davy Crockett the next week. Uh, this week, I think I'm going to be, if all goes right, looking at amateur films from the 64, 65 World's Fair. So uh, if people, and I do try to let people know where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing, that sort of stuff. But I literally just got home Saturday night uh, from uh, three weeks uh, out of town. So I'm just hoping to stay home and be quiet for a couple of weeks. That's fine. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll we'll leave it at that. And uh, we'll both get some dinner. I thank you for getting, being a guest. And uh, this wraps it up for another Fun Ideas podcast. Great. And keep in touch about Gallagher. And I do want to get your books. Okay. Thank you. All right. We'll talk soon. Good talking to you. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Bill Cotter, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 238 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. 
This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.